2: Welcome to Light Ears. Samus Fandiari here. I have a special guest today, formerly of The Ringer, formerly of SI, and host of the GOAT Greatest of All Talk pod, Andrew Sharp. Sharp, how you doing, man? What's up, man? How you doing? Oh, You know, just watching these playoff games and just getting, like, PTSD frustrated over all the mistakes the Warriors made all season, like, literally every game. Like, I'm watching this jazz Grizzlies series and my my own popular take is like I really enjoy watching both teams like they do compete hard it is kind of compelling, but I'm sitting here going you're telling me the Warriors with a couple tweaks couldn't beat either of these teams, you know, so.
3: Yeah, see I was kind of hoping that you had like transitioned into sort of a relaxing phase after the season after like 7 straight months of stressing out and flipping <laughs> out at the Warriors, but I can understand why You see, why do you see the size activating. of this coffee? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You got a lot of coffee. Um it's Sunday morning in the Bay and you're ready to rock. Yeah, I so I I am of two minds here as as things have settled on the Warriors front Right. I do, I do understand why you could watch teams like the Jazz and the War and the Grizzlies and say, "Oh my God!" Like the Warriors are really not that far off from like the Jazz, who finished first in the West. Like if it had been Jazz Warriors, that would have been a close series that would have gone six or seven. Um, but I also like with a little bit of distance, I feel like this Warriors season was pretty encouraging on the whole, uh, particularly at the end. Oh, boy, you're making a face. All right, but maybe right. <laughs> I'm one... going to let
2: you complete your thought before react to it.
3: <laughs> so I feel really good about the leadership we saw from Steph all year. He stuck through a lot of ugly basketball and a lot of stuff that would have made other superstars like do a double take, start pitching at the front office. He didn't do any of that. And I, I really thought that was cool. And this and wound up being like my second favorite Steph season of all time. And then additionally, toward the end of the year, they figured some things out and found some guys who I think are going to be able to help them over the long haul. And uh, I, I think one of the things that they'll need to figure out um, is Looney. <laughs> Looney's not someone you can really count on long term, and they're going to need like another big option. But like Juan Toscano Anderson was great. Jordan Poole came into his own as the season unfolded. Andrew Wiggins, honestly, like looking back, had a really solid season. And uh, all that bodes well for what's possible in the future. And I think that's what I wanted to see coming out of this season. Is like, how is Steph going to hold up? And can he can he like do it on his own? I think he passed that test with flying colors. And then, also, can they identify a couple guys on that roster that are gonna allow them to like really compete once they're coming back to things with a full deck and so on that front, I think the the signs were a lot more encouraging than we would have expected like halfway through the season when things looked like a mess,
2: yeah, I mean, so my my frustration with it is all the stuff that was a mess in the first half of the season was just very avoidable, like mm-hmm um just the lineup combinations the lack of shooting on the floor um it, it was just a lot of putting a square you know putting a round uh, or what what's the expression putting a square peg into a round hole it was a lot of that going on and i felt like it was beyond obvious so that's kind of frustrating but to the bigger picture point i guess what i'm trying to understand is do you think the warriors not making the playoffs hurts their ability to get free agents. Cause my takeaway from this season was like, it's not like I thought they had any shot at competing for a title. The minute clay got hurt. Mm-hmm. It was Steph needs to have the type of season that reminds the league. He is one of the two or three players, two or three guys who like matter in terms of like, I want to play with that guy if I want to win a title. And I think he displayed that in the regular season, but I was really hoping you know you push the jazz to seven games in round one without clay that sort of thing you have a lot better chance at getting some of those veteran players that they couldn't get last offseason for obvious reasons clay got hurt two days before free agency started
3: yeah uh, I and honestly had they played the jazz i probably would have picked the warriors to beat utah in that matchup and then lose the clippers and um it's frustrating. And you look back at, at some of the games they blew midway through the year. Like they just lost a lot of really winnable games. Um, and even like to my Wizards, they were pissing away, like super. The, fir- winnable. the, f-
2: the first Wizards game was it, it was just like with the Wiggins foul on Bradley Beal. And I, ex- I mean, that was that was probably like the uh, the apex of like, what are they
3: doing? And, and also it was, what are the wizards doing trying to win games? Because had they lost that warriors <laughs> game, they might have like read the writing on the wall and decided to tank and shore up the draft pick. Instead, the warriors blow that win, allow the wizards to build a little momentum. And now, you know, we're about to get swept out of the first round. We're going to pick like 15th in the draft. I hate everything. Um, so yes, that is on Wiggins in addition to yeah, the Wiz- they-
2: you can also you can pretty much pencil the Wizards in for the eight seed again next year, like a, a West <laughs> a, a Westbrook Beal combination. Oh. Assuming assuming normal health, like it's gonna be good enough to be a bottom half Eastern Conference team. It's and go nowhere me. else.
3: Yeah, yeah. I, I would if I were the Warriors, I would still be calling on a daily basis because I know that. Not everyone in the Wizards organization is a fan of that particular plan, and I think that um, Beal is not like totally off limits here, But we'll see as far as what you were saying about what Golden State and th- this right. season, um, the other thing I thought that was really important was um, Draymond. I wasn't sure he had like peak Draymond levels in him anymore, but defensively he was still really, really special. Now, offensively we saw like, if there are not more shooters on the floor, he's probably a a legit red flag at this point in his career. If the Warriors want to go in
2: the bricked floater layup to to win the playing game it doesn't do it for you
3: well and that was that was a really important moment because he's been that guy offensively for a while and it's easy to miss because he does do a lot of helpful shit but at the same time like teams are willing to just sort of give him whatever he wants and uh and and that makes the entire team easier to guard so I'm glad that there was sort of like a snapshot for everyone to see even if you're just like you don't really understand basketball. You can watch that one play with Draymond and be like, all right, this isn't ideal. Um, If you
2: were to, if you were to write a way in which Steph kind of doesn't make the playoffs, but avoids the pylon, like the unfair internet pylon for like failing the way the Warriors lost that game is probably like you could Steph's averaging 37 or 38 for like 30 games in a row. And then he gets trapped at half court, gives Draymond the easiest layup of all time. I don't like I don't even know what else he could ask for Steph Curry out of that situation, really. Yeah,
3: and it and it wasn't a good Steph game. Um, like that entire Grizzlies game, he wasn't playing well and he was like right. quite clearly worn down. And when Steph gets worn down, that's when the like crazy turnovers start to emerge, and so he just like it it was a C plus game from him. Um, but I would say probably like an A effort. He he continued fighting throughout that game, and they really it, were it much- tells
2: you it tells you also everything you need to know about how high the bar is for Steph that going 13 for 28 for 39 points, by the way, with still a positive plus minus in a game they lost was rightfully ascribed like a B minus C plus effort get, performance for him because of other factors
3: totally totally and that that is a credit to how incredible he generally is um but yeah and and to your original question a couple minutes ago i think what will ultimately be the difference for these guys is like how healthy does the rest of the league think clay is and i don't know what you can do on that front like i think they would assign more guys Bob Myers. Who knows whether he was telling the truth about this? But like, Bob Myers came out and said we would have signed more guys had had Clay not gotten injured. We I know guys that who were interested in him, in us.
2: I know that to be the case for more than a couple players, and it's just kind of like, I get it. If you are um, Marcus Saul, the idea of playing with Steph and Clay in an offense that's basically tailor made for your skill set sounds really attractive, and then Clay Thompson gets you know, he tears his Achilles and you're looking at the rest of the roster and your goal is to compete deep into the playoffs. They're not a team that's going to be on your list anymore, right? Like those are the, I, I think when Bob was talking, he was talking about the Avery Bradley, Marc Gasol caliber of veteran who quite frankly would probably play well for the Warriors. Now maybe are we overrating the impact those guys would have made?
3: A little, well, but like, that's yeah. what he,
2: that, those are the type of vets I do believe he's referring to. I don't think he's talking about like, you know, Kawhi like putting in a trade demand to go play with them or something.
3: To- right. And and that's all they need. If Clay is Clay, and, and right. even if Clay is 80% of who Clay was a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. I do think that some of the younger guys, like Poole is someone to be pretty excited about going forward. And right. Toscano Anderson is like exactly who they need as a role player. Um, And the issue they had this year is that they were asking too much of those guys. Like Jordan Poole is a seventh or eighth man, same for Juan Toscano Anderson. And they needed them to basically be like starter level contributors and Wiggins. He's a fourth or fifth guy. They needed him to be a second or third guy most nights. And like, that's where you get into trouble. Um, But I do think like,
2: I mean the, just to put it into perspective, the last third of the season the difference in, like, offensive output between Steph and the second option was, like, 80s Bulls level, where, like, Jordan's averaging 37, 38, and, like, no one else on the roster is coming over, like, 15.
3: Totally. Well, and that's what the Grizzlies game felt like. I mean, they had guys just, like, bumping him everywhere he went, and he was getting doubled and trapped, and and the rest of his teammates just couldn't make plays around him. And so that was – a real problem. <laughs> and like I don't think that's going to be a problem when you put clay on the floor next year. And I feel good about like how the nucleus is shaping up. If clay can come back healthy. And I, I think some of the some of what's stressful and like really frustrating about all of this is that like the front office can do whatever it wants. Um but I don't know if they're going to be able to solve for like a clay Thompson, who's nowhere near where he was a few years ago. And I don't know that there was anything they could have done to really change the equation after clay went down in the fall, because it, that just like really sucks and totally changes like the, the basic equation that they're working with.
2: Yeah. Seth, uh, Seth Partnow said, I wonder what the Warriors would have done if clay tore his Achilles a week earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's silly as that sounds, it's like literally it happened on draft night. They didn't even have confirmation. It was torn at the time of the pick. It was like uh and and as everyone remembers, you know, the draft was on a Wednesday, free agency was on Friday, and camps opened the following week. like it was a weird it was I don't necessarily fault them for how the season's roster started. My issue would be more like they should have been trying to make more marginal moves to see if they could find more players throughout the Cause it was going to be a lost year, no matter what, like I look at, I brought this up to Andy a week ago, but like the Houston Rockets could not have had a worse season with like the James Harden demanding out in the middle of, uh, mm-hmm. you know, like on Christmas, but like they <laughs> their season basically was over before it started. And in the process they turned over God knows how many players, but while that happened, they did stumble upon a few pieces that may be something for them going forward.
3: And that's just kind of where I'm kind of like a little frustrated with the Warriors. See, all right, but don't you feel like the Warriors did finally stumble on those pieces? Like Poole and Toscano Anderson are are pretty awesome going forward. And they don't need that much more than like a couple young guys. And then a couple veterans that they can sign this off season to pair with that. I, get,
2: I guess I'm just more pessimistic on where clay lands post-injury. And it's not that I don't, th- he's going to be able to shoot the ball. That's not an issue. Um, I don't really believe he's going to be able to play 30 plus minutes a game next year. I don't know that he'll ever be the defender. He was, I think he's, He's big and smart in in the, the sense of he's probably going to be a fine team defender. But like if you're expecting the clay who would hound the other team's best player while, you know, scoring 25 plus a game and playing 40 plus minutes, that's not that's not happening. And then we just saw how far Draymond's offense has fallen off. That's really the big thing. Like Draymond's offense falling off, in my opinion, means they need more than just like clay to go back to what he used to be. I guess I just feel like they're a little farther away than you do.
3: Yeah. I, I, well, I think it's not that we disagree on how far away they are. It's I think we disagree on what they can do to close that gap. To me, I think you just, unless you're going to trade clay, right? I think you just sort of have to stand on the guys that you have and make moves around the margins because there just isn't like a magic bullet move that you can make to make clay's health less central to like the overall ceiling. I
2: I mean, okay. That is fair. He's, he's a max player. You kind of just have to trust your max player will eventually play like a max player. And it's like, it's no one's
3: not even trust. I would say, pray (laughs) and just say, look, there's not that much else we could do here if we're committed to this guy long-term. So let's just hope that he gets healthy and then see what else we could do. And I, I don't know how you advertise that to the league, too, because you're going to be courting free agents. I think like
2: IG, maybe, get, you know, we, we, hire
3: a, an IG consultant or something uh, for Clay over the next four or five months. We're
2: going to have to, um, you know, we're going to get big into the workout Instagram game over here. It's it, going to be a lot of, you know, like kind of uh, special effects that make Clay look even more explosive start the rumor. Is he actually stronger than before?
3: (laughs) And it's also going to be like a a sharp change for clay on Instagram, because every time I see him, he's like in the Bay with his dog and like swimming under the golden gate bridge. So we're going to need to get him on the like LeBron style. Like every, every story is him in the weight room.
2: Yeah. I got to get that perfect angle to make him look even bigger than he is. Um, (laughs) you know pulling up from 40 and pickup games uh you know we can kind of you know use some special effects to make it look like he's playing against Nba guys and not like you know running at 24 or something
3: 100 there's a lot
2: there's a lot of things we can do here because you know i I do think players want to believe clay will come back like he in general a perspective I've always seen is like players generally like they want to root for the guys like Derek Rose the guys who've had really kind of just a bad run of luck with health. Like you know, because they're all like cognizant that that could be them.
3: Yeah. Well, and certainly, I mean, to me, Clay is one of the coolest stars in the league. Um, and I think more than any star out there, like he's the most relatable, just like genuinely cool dude who I like, I look at Clay and I'm like, yeah, we'd probably be friends (laughs) in like a different scenario. And, uh, and so I hope he gets it together because also you go back and look at some of what he was doing, like even the game he went down against the Raptors, he was playing like that might have been unbelievable his best basketball, yeah. yeah. And so I I hope we get to see him close to a hundred percent at some point.
2: Everyone's gonna always point to uh, the game six in OKC, and that's definitely his biggest moment of his <laughs> career. But if you're talking about pure basketball he was playing better in that 2019 finals game like he had more mastery of his skill set he like there was it was it was interesting watching the warriors go in 2015 from being the young team who hadn't been there but like had kind of heart and they they fought really hard to like than being more of the old team who's like we're gonna win i'm not gonna get shook by this moment i've played in about a hundred of these games in the last five years and you have not cal lowry you know
3: totally and they were also like the villain at the end of an action movie where they were just like never dead i remember being in toronto for game five of that series Mm -hmm. and that was on a monday night and sports illustrated goes to press on monday nights and so i had like prepped this whole Raptors win the final story. And I was sitting there going over like final edits and then we're looking up and Steph and clay in the fourth quarter of game five were a for,
2: just a forgotten, gem. A forgotten was, gem for the two of them.
3: It was real like championship level shit. And so that's, that's sort of like the persona that they adopted toward the end of that series. It's why the clay injury drove me insane because I just, I wanted to see them have a chance to like really go down firing. And once clay went out, it just wasn't the same. So um, we'll see. Uh, I think they're still going to have that like old guy title winning vibe to them. Um, and I, I'm not ready to write Clay you, off or the Warriors off.
2: A point I've made um, is I, I like to envision clay the way the Spurs envisioned Ginobili where you're like, okay, their games are completely different, but it's like Manu was heavily load managed in the regular season for like the last five years of his career. Like always playing like 25 minutes a game max. But you knew if it was a big game, he was, you know, probably the second best player on the floor. He was getting his minutes extended and the Spurs were able to do that because they always had a very deep, well-coached roster. For the Warriors to come back, I, I... I just, I just hope there isn't the plan to like, all right, Clay, we're, we're going to try to get you up to 30 minutes a game within a month or two, that sort of thing. Like there needs to be this idea that like that stage of his career is gone. And he's Mm -hmm. kind of an overqualified role player who is asked to do more in big games because he's capable. Like it's, it'll be a lot easier for him to go up to like 35 minutes if it's like a, you know, it's a May are like in the playoffs. Six. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Not like, 100%. you know, not like, you know, Tuesday in January against the Sacramento Kings. And that's where it's like, can they build a roster that allows Clay to kind of take that role?
3: Yeah. Well, and, and can they get pool and Wiggins to a place where like, you can give them a little bit more responsibility and not have like the whole thing turn into a complete Fall mess. Yeah. And I don't know. Um, I mean, where are your Wiggins trust levels at after the last seven months or so? Um,
2: I'll get to that in a second, but it's like, just to tie on to it, Steve Kerr is already talking about how excited he is to have like clay run with the second unit with, wiggins and pool he thinks that like dynamic for second units could be really good which i agree with but then he's also talking about like starting clay and in my mind i'm going like okay there has to be minutes where clay isn't on the floor in your (laughs) in your planning you know because it's like it's it's very easy to see all the cool things they can do when they have Steph and clay together because we've seen it for a long time it's like can they build something where clay is not central to everything they do
3: it's also going to require, like, I'm sure Kerr struggles with it, and I even struggle with it. Like, for the longest time throughout this light years Warriors run, right? Clay is the guy who's been superhuman. And so he... The like, Iron Man. Yeah. Yeah, like, Steph would get these little ticky-tack injuries along the way. Draymond was hurt, like, to some degree for basically every season of that title runs. Uh, and definitely the last
2: three yeah
3: totally like he's like dragging his shoulder around and clay it was just like no matter what happens throw him out there he's good he can play 35 40 minutes a game he can guard the other guy's best player and so I think everybody's gonna take a little while to sort of adjust their expectations and uh, account for like the new clay reality um, but because, they'll get there. That's not a problem.
2: Yeah. Cause like the last thing I want to see is them over exert clay and he, he get hurt again. Like I'd rather watch 25 minutes a game of clay for the next five mm. years than what the reality of him trying to play 30 plus minutes, which is like we just watched it with, uh, Kevin Durant and John Wall, who by the way, had much longer layoffs and didn't have two back to back injuries. It's not like those guys didn't look like themselves, it's that they did not have the, their bodies did not have the capacity to play 35 minutes a game for the duration of the season. You know, you start yeah. like, and that's kind of where, that's kind of where I'm at. Like it's, you, you juxtapose that to someone like Rudy Gay, who, by the way, I would bet money will be on the Warriors next year. Um, but like, is, f- is that for, a
3: good thing? Uh,
2: it's just a thing. Um, <laughs>
3: okay. Uh, what I was going to say, I don't know how to feel about Rudy Gay at this point. He had some, pretty rough possessions toward the end of uh, the Spurs-Grizzlies he's, Spurs, he's, Grizzlies he's not,
2: game. He's not to Bazemore levels of like in 30, I trust, but he's like tier two, okay. you know, Curry army. So I do think there's a good chance. Uh, I don't think he's going to get paid much this off season. So he, yeah. he might, he might fall into that vet who's willing to maybe leave one to 2 million on the table to like go play with Steph type of play. Well, anyway, with that said, he, um, I think they've managed his post his post Achilles career perfectly because he doesn't really get hurt anymore, but he also has never exceeded 30 minutes a game since mm-hmm. he got hurt. He used to be that guy who played like 40 minutes a game. Right. Like he, you know, different player, but like same way with clay. It's like when Rudy, Rudy Gay was just never hurt. He was always on the floor. Right now. Now he's at that, like we're going to get 25 good minutes out of you every night, but you know, it's
3: it's a long haul. Well, so let me ask you because to that end, we're talking about the because I agree that that clay like the ideal spot for him is like 25 minutes a game whether he's starting or not, like he sure. shouldn't be playing more than 30 minutes. Um and the implication then is that like the Warriors need a lot more around him to to really like compete at the top of the league. Right. But I also look back at the final two months of the season and look back at how good the warriors were and say, I don't know, like as soon as you removed Wiseman and his defense from the mix and they started moving the ball again, there was more space on offense. Like that team looked pretty awesome. Is it, is
2: it, but is it reasonable to ask Steph Curry to average 38 points per game on godly efficiency for every (laughs) like like we all want to watch we all want to watch it but like how much of what happened over that last two months is like i i just you know now now we go back to our can steph stay healthy conversation like well i'd probably bet against it if you're asking him to score 40 just for you to be in a game
3: I agree, and I don't think it's reasonable, particularly because right now, if you're the Warriors, you, you should be looking to plan with the next, with a hair
2: like five with a, years with the hairline fracture on his tailbone. Is a favorite part. That's right. This is he some, this is some elite injury, yeah.
3: um, but he did a really good job, and I and like. If you throw in some some clay minutes, throw in pool continuing to and I I hate to keep coming back to pool, but I think he's like pretty good and will be really useful as a sixth man.
2: I I see what you're saying. It's like you're you're not going to find that one guy to give you 25 points. But if you can find a handful of guys who can on any given night, give you 20 and are probably going to average around 10.
3: Exactly. Like then it, you've got
2: the true strength in numbers. <laughs> a
3: couple guys who are giving you like sixteen off the bench every now and then. Right. Like it doesn't have to be Paul George giving you thirty alongside everybody else. I, I like they don't need that much in order to say, "All right, Steph, we don't need thirty-eight tonight." But twenty. We'll give we us need twenty-seven. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then they they might be okay. I just it's really hard to gauge. Because look, the final six weeks of the season, it was a long season. Half the teams weren't really like engaged on a lot of nights. And maybe, maybe what we saw from the Warriors was sort of a mirage, but they did start to look like that. Like they were a much better defensive team and the offense started to look like it had during some of the like pre KD days in State. And um, all of that is like encouraging in terms of what's possible now. How do you factor Wiseman into the mix? That is its own question, and I don't know what their plan is on that front.
2: So um, let's 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 table the Wiseman thing for one second. I actually wanted to ask you about this earlier, but we got derailed. Um, is this the worst roster you've seen an MVP player caliber player play with? Hmm. Uh, I asked Golov this a month ago. And what did Ben say? he was he was bouncing between this the 06 kobe lakers and um some of the first uh first stint Cavs teams around lebron so like maybe the 07 to 10 rosters yeah. and stuff like that and those were really the only ones we could think of because we were not trying to go back like to a pre uh you know, pre Michael Jordan or something like that.
3: We're millennials. We, we are starting our basketball history at like 2002. Um, as far as within that time frame, Yeah. I mean like the LeBron teams were worse. <laughs> like there's no question about it. He was out there with like Booby Gibson and Mo Williams. And, uh, um, eh, I mean, I-, I would, I
2: would love big Z. Just give me, <laughs> yeah. give me, give me big Z. Big Z is everything I want, which is a big man who can shoot the ball.
3: Oh, man. I, wa- I watched LeBron in 2006, I believe it was. It was Cavs, Wizards um, in the playoffs. And okay, it actually, those, and, like,
2: those those early, uh, yeah, that, that one against Gilbert Arenas, like, that was a horrendous team. I'll it was a
3: horrendous team, and LeBron ripped my heart out in game six of that series, and I was sitting next to Big Z's family at the <laughs> Verizon center in DC and they were just going nuts the whole time. All part of a nightmare for me. Still have PTSD. Um, yeah. I don't know. I didn't think this warrior supporting cast, there were, by the
2: um, way, two time all-star big Z. Yeah.
3: <laughs> hey, he had some good, he had some moments. There's no, I think he's a Cavs hall of famer too. So no shots at big Z on this podcast. Um, where I come down on the supporting cast is that like, there were people who wanted to hate on Steph, who acted like he was playing on just like a normal team and, and totally ignored some of the like structural flaws. Um, And then there's like you guys, not necessarily you specifically, but like Warriors, Twitter, and the like propaganda machine wanted to act like this team was just fucking garbage outside of Steph. And I, I think that, the, the truth I mean, is somewhere they, in the middle.
2: They did have the worst offense of all time when Steph went off the floor.
3: Just That's to- a, that is a good point,
2: yeah. <laughs> I think there's, uh, the appropriate way to rate the roster was sneakily above average defensive talent mm-hmm. and absolute dumpster fire offensive talent.
3: Yeah, that feels right, um, and I think that's still better than like some of the teams that Kobe was working with and some of the teams that LeBron was working with like ten and fifteen years ago. Um, but it's it's give me oh six Lamar Odom. It, well, and also part of this is it Actually, goes it's back pretty, pretty
2: damn good like comp to draymond in some way well yeah
3: I, I think odom would at least make his layups um but but it's, he might it's, not guard five people at the same time the
2: way draymond does
3: either well yeah and and like that's part of the problem is i do have respect for like who draymond is as a creator and who mm-hmm. he is as a defender so i'm reluctant to like put him and some of these and even wiggins like had a good year and so i'm not gonna call him like slava medvedenko here uh and that is not to say that the warriors didn't need more help because it it goes back to what i was saying at the beginning like they had good players but they were asking them to do like more than a good team would ask from them and that's that's where things started to break down and Steph had to just be like superman to make any of this work and he almost was and it was awesome to watch him try
2: yeah i i'm my honest opinion is i think the roster is comparable to the 06 lakers roster um mm-hmm. right down to having a rookie big who has no clue how to play basketball on it yeah um uh, shout out to andrew
3: bynum who did end up being actually pretty good for a period of time Um, I think Bynum, like peak Bynum is, is a good sort of zone to expect James Wiseman to get to at some point. Like they're not,
2: they play different games, but yeah, if he can get to the impact that like 2009 to 11 Bynum had, I mean, that guy made all-star team.
3: I would take that's That's what I'm saying is like all-star, not hall of famer, not MVP candidate. I don't think he ever made an all NBA team, but like, I think Wiseman can be sort of a, lower tier all-star at some point
2: maybe maybe uh above the sabonis tier looking looking (laughs) looking at somewhere between the uh living somewhere between the ad and sabonis tier yeah it would be a dream outcome
3: well so before we get to wiseman because i think a lot of that does sort of determine like what you expect in the future I do want to run one take by you because Ben and I, we eventually yes. had to like ban talking about the warriors on the podcast because I would like drag the conversation back to my guy, Steph and like what we expect from the future. And I mean, ben, that's,
2: that's why I tell everyone to subscribe to the pod. You get more, you get more warriors talk than you really should.
3: Oh my God. Absolutely. It's like, it, it is a problem. Um, And so we banned warriors talk, but in our last Our last conversation, we were talking about sort of like what the problem is in Golden State and and how wires seem to have gotten crossed. And and I think like there's a lot of debate about whether it's Kerr or whether it's the front office and like, who, who do you blame for this season? And the one thing that I keep coming back to is that like there are not clear divisions of responsibilities in Golden State so it's not clear like how much influence did Kerr have on the Wiseman pick and and not wanting LaMelo and how like how much was
2: ownership involved yeah
3: and and who was telling Kerr to guarantee Wiseman 20 to 25 minutes a game like was that on Kerr or was it Bob Myers or was it ownership and it, it it is to me ultimately about ownership here where like there's just sort of a mess of egos and voices in every Warriors conversation underlying every decision they make as a team. And I it, like it's funny because when they initially traded for D'Angelo Russell, they like turned that trade exception into D'Angelo Russell and just sort of plucked a superstar out of thin air, then turned Russell yeah, into all, all star. Right. Well, (laughs) definitely not a superstar, but it was like seen as a coup at the time. And it was also seen as a coup when they flipped D'Lo and got Wiggins from from Minnesota. And and this pick, which is probably going to be six or seven. Right. And and as those deals went down, a lot of people were saying, you know what? Like the greatest advantage in basketball is great ownership. And the Warriors have that. And those guys are willing to do that. And this season has given me pause and I've had to sort of step back and be like, I have no idea who's making the decisions in Golden State. And it seems like there are like multiple agendas in play at any given time. And to me, that reflects not Bob Myers, not Steve Kerr, but more of a like Joe Lacob problem. His kids are involved in everything as well. And it just seems like it's sort of a mess. And I think it's forced me to rethink whether I actually trust like the lake of ownership group in terms of like, understanding what made them special initially, and being able to replicate that formula going forward.
2: I would say I agree with 90% of that. And Mm -hmm. here's, here's where I'm gonna uh, push back a little bit, not even push back, but I want to make this point clear. It's something I've said all year on the pod, which is, They operate kind of as a unit. It's very hard. I I always feel like if you're going to praise Steve Kerr, you need to praise the front office and ownership too. But if you're going to criticize Kerr, you also have to, like, they're too intertwined to separate who's involved with who. Now, I do agree with you. The fundamental issue is it seems like some in the front office think they can truly pull off the spurs. Like, you know, we're going to develop a superstar around our like, veteran winning core and like that sort of thing whereas others are like you know that's a fool's errand like we need right. to commit to one direction we're either all in around staff or like we have to go all in on the future um and this year i i feel like a lot of what they were doing was like trial and error on the court yeah. like like you were saying um Kelly Oubre starting at shooting guard definitely felt like a front office. We spent a lot of money on him because he does not strike me as Steve Kerr's ideal shooting guard, you know?
3: Right, and it, it just wasn't, it was clear so early on that that was not a good role for him. And he did it's not start who he to is. get more comfortable later in the year playing sort of a, like a six-man energy guy role and attacking the rim. But like, it was just a brutal watch. And that was true for a number of guys who were sort of miscast for reasons that are still sort of unclear to me.
2: Yeah, like they, there was no clear development plan for Wiseman. For that, I would put that on everyone involved. Like the, you can say like Steve Kerr didn't know what to do with a raw rookie, but yeah. the front office just telling him like develop him isn't exactly providing guidance either. Like yeah, like I, I walk into your office, I'm just like, why haven't you done that thing? I have no clue how you're supposed to do, you know? So. Yeah.
3: And even when they drafted him, like before they drafted him, actually, I, I said, if I were the Warriors, I wouldn't want Wiseman because you're trying to compete. And this is when they expected to have Clay there as well. Um, sure. But like big men in general take like three or four years to really learn like the intricacies of defending at that position. And it's really, really, they difficult. have more
2: responsibility. It's like
3: exactly. They- so. And, and so Wiseman was just totally lost on that end all year, which in retrospect was foreseeable even when they drafted him. And it, they didn't seem to have any sort of plan to like account for that and account for like the massive blind spots that were always going to be part of his game.
1: Real sports fans love fantasy sports, but unfortunately most fantasy sports platforms don't show that same love back, favoring the Sharks and professionals over the casual fans. Super draft. Fantasy Sports is here to change that narrative with their new single-game-featured Champion Mode Contest. Focus on drafting the players you know from the games that matter to you with no salary cap considerations when determining your lineup. Superdraft believes that the players, not the pros, deserve to win money, and they have the highest player.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed.
1: win percentage and DFS to prove it sign up with Superdraft today start playing and win big new players can use the code Steph upon sign up and receive a $25 instant match on your first deposit also don't miss out on their free to play sports book available in all 50 states to win prizes from a VIP stay at a Caesars Hotel property to a PlayStation 5 Superdraft is available on both iOS and Android devices promo code Steph better
2: Look, no one's perfect. Even the best baseball players strike out with the bases loaded. The best golfers sometimes three-putt with the tournament on the line. So if you feel like you're coming up short in the bedroom sometimes, it's perfectly okay. But if it's bothering you, there are options. Go to roman.com slash years now. complete an online visit today to connect with a doctor and take care of it. Go to getroman.com com slash lightyears and get $15 off your first month. Look, there's a straightforward way to take care of your ED. Get roman.com slash lightyears. Get started now to save $15 off your first month of treatment. So that kind of brings me to the Wiseman topic, which is Going to be the topic all summer. There, there's a segment of people who think that the Warriors are not shopping him, and I just his name isn't appearing in thin air. Just like D'Angelo Russell's name wasn't appearing in thin air for six months beforehand. I don't know that the Warriors will trade Wiseman. In fact, if I had to bet, I'd say they won't. But to say that they're not like listening and doing certain things, like. Every reporter is not just making that up off a whim, and you you know that probably better than anyone, right? Like the sure. the reason you hear his name in the in the news is because there is smoke there, right?
3: Um, yeah, definitely. And honestly, like you you got to talk to Andy, the minister of propaganda for the Warriors, and start cooking up some highlight videos of Wiseman to try to sort of like boost his value over the next couple of months. So when you say you don't think that they're going to trade him, is that because you don't think they'd be willing to trade him for anything less than another star to sort of complete this core for the next three or four years?
2: Yeah, I think they need someone who has, they're saying they're only going to trade him for a Giannis Embiid caliber player. I'm calling BS. (laughs) I'm calling BS on that. But, you know, just to be clear, I would be okay with that.
3: Uh-huh. I mean, absolutely uh, well so that's what frustrates me about the lake regime in general is like they sort of re- they really struck gold with kd and i think that they think that they are going to be able to recreate that one,
2: one thing one thing i will point out is when Lacob took over he adamantly was saying he would not trade monte Ellis. Mm-hmm. And then it was adamant will not trade unless it's a superstar. And they end up trading him for Andrew Bogett, who's not a superstar. He's just like an effective winning player. At least he was at that time, right? Yeah. And so that's where I am, you know, I, I'm I'm calling a little BS that the line of what they would trade him for is a superstar. I think they do need someone who has like all starish caliber impact. You know, right. um, I just don't think it's, you know, like, unless I'm getting an MVP, I don't think they're, they're setting the line at like, you know, no one who's, uh you know, in beat or bust, for example. Right. It's, Cause then they definitely won't get a trade.
3: <laughs> Honestly, I don't know who the Bogut level player is, but that's who they should be seeking with Wiseman. Sure. And, um and a, a
2: name that gets thrown around a lot because there are, it have also been reports that the other, that, the other side is interested in going in this direction is Pascal Siakam. Yeah. Um, the warrior, he is a warrior's type of player. You can oh, see. Yeah. Right. Um, and some people think Toronto may just want to hit eject and like getting like a prospect haul for him. If you're going to, if you're just going to say it's over and maybe Kyle Lowry goes somewhere else and they're ready to like do the rebuild thing. That's potentially a
3: name. Do you put up, the lottery pick this year alongside Wiseman and a deal for Siakam I probably would
2: yeah because I don't know that there's a huge talent gap between like the seventh and the 14th pick so and if you're not going to put up a lottery pick you're probably going to have to put up like a bunch of future stuff which scares me because of the age of the Warriors core Like you, you, you start kicking picks in 2025, 26 down the road. (laughs) I mean, I think Steph has four to five more like all-star caliber years, at least with a couple of them at like this level, but you don't know that. And secondarily, like, I mean, you just don't want to be in that situation where it's like, well, we traded this pick and we're really hoping 36 year old clay and 38 year old Steph could keep us out of the lottery.
3: Yeah, it's funny too because I think about that with the Lakers and the Lakers are definitely uh, over leveraged and like the bottom is going to fall out somewhere but along at the least, line here. at
2: least Anthony Davis is 27. I mean, True. And they not aren't, only that, they're they the aren't Lakers. Pro- yeah, they aren't protected from him getting hurt. But like from a reasonable standpoint, if you're giving away picks between his age 27 and 32 season, as long as he's on the floor, it's not going to hurt too much.
3: That's true. And also, I, I have to remind myself that like, they even don't. if LeBron falls off a cliff, they'll be able to give $40 million a year to some superstar who will want to come play there because they're the Lakers and shit just like works out for that. franchise. And they
2: already have one superstar. It's like I'm going to the Lakers and they have Anthony Davis. So they're yeah. automatically going to be the most attractive destination for any playmaker right? Like right. And I get to play with that big man who will just like get me 10 assists in my sleep. And then, you know, we'll get role players because it's LA.
3: Totally. So I have to electroshock myself and remind like that, that is a stupid concern to have. It's not a stupid concern if you're golden state, because like if the bottom falls out with the core here, it will be nice to have picks in like 2026, 27. Um, Absent that, though, I, I totally agree that, like, you should go all in for the next couple of seasons and see what you can do giving these guys as much help as, and, as you can give them. And rookies are not going to help as much.
2: And so that's that's really what the debate is here, because I actually most people think Wiseman will be a good player. There's yeah. differing levels to how good. Like, are we talking Clint Capella or are we talking Anthony Davis? Like, those are two different things. Right. Um, well, it's probably so, somewhere in between. So. Yes.
3: And what freaks me out about Wiseman, and I say this knowing that there's like a non-zero chance he could be traded to DC and, and like all of my and then you have to talk Wiseman yourself into so. <laughs> Yeah, it's really gonna be horrible. Um
2: it's just Big Jim, Rui, and uh Denny. Oh the my dream God. the dream team.
3: These guys are killing me right now. I can't even watch some of these playoff games. Uh but Wiseman as, as a big guy, the thing I look for it if you're drafting someone high, it's like, can you guard? Because if you can't guard as a big guy, then your offense has to be amazing to make it worthwhile at like a max level salary slot. And if you're drafting someone with a top five pick, like that's the type of player you're talking about. And um, Wiseman just isn't there defensively and whether he can close that gap and get from like, D to B uh, is going to determine like how
2: useful. Oh, he see, I I, I have, have a. I feel the opposite way. I feel very confident he'll become a good defender. Okay, um, I, I'm not confident it happens before 2024, but right. just based on energy level and desire and wingspan, he will end up being a good rim protector once the game slows down for him. Um. Will he be the kind of big who can switch? I'm not ready to say that. Like, just because he has the athleticism doesn't mean he will get the intricacies of it. But, like, I don't – I think his physical tools plus his desire plus his effort level will make him at worst a solid rim protector on defense. What I'm a little more concerned about is will he offensively become more than – a rim runner like he shows signs of a shot but like you watch him play you're like I mean I've seen a lot of like I, I watch Anthony Randolph I watch all these guys who so <laughs> signs signs yeah. of skill and then like you kind of three years later you're like well they still only shoot it at like 29 to 30 percent and maybe you just need to cut your bait on this being like another Anthony Davis and just like put them in a oh yeah role. so well, I, don't, I don't I don't know where I stand with Wiseman on that front um like right now he's just like a a ball of clay it could go in any
3: direction so do you agree though defensively now he's like nowhere near good enough oh yeah absolutely okay because yeah i think he does do a lot of like helpful stuff offensively and you you do see these flashes and i like i would feel good about betting on some of those flashes turning into like reliable skills that make him a plus offensive player over the long haul. And just like a really good, like we said, like mid tier, low tier all-star. But it, it to me, it's like, how quickly can he get up to speed defensively? And that's the question. If I were the Warriors, I might have seen this season and just sort of pressed eject and say, all right, like, we do actually believe in who this guy is going to be. We just don't think he's going to get there defensively in time for us to like win titles as Steph's window is closing.
2: And that's a hard thing to decipher from uh, the Warriors because as much as, so we were talking earlier about how they don't seem to be on the same page, but one thing that they are always on the same page about is they keep things in house pretty well. Um they would be talking up Wiseman whether they wanted to keep him or trade him. So I can't tell if they truly feel like he is a season away from everything clicking and they really think like they have an Anthony Davis light or something like that, or this is Joe Lakeham salesmanship because he talks the same way about every player in this capacity. Like he talked about Monte Ellis like this. He also talked about, um, Uh, who clay thompson like this you know one they Mm -hmm. traded one they didn't remember like i remember the kevin love for clay trade stuff it seemed like a no-brainer right like it seemed like at the time it's like on in what world is clay thompson gonna ever be better than this like 30.20 rebound machine that minnesota has
3: yeah and i wonder whether the people in the front office now would make the same decision that the front office made then, and whether they would have enough appreciation for like the nuances of right. what made Clay and and Steph special together.
2: That's a scouting. Qu- That's a
3: question of if they're still trigger. as good at scouting. <laughs> exactly, and yeah. and also like there's just a lot of gray area with some of this stuff. Um, that like whether Jerry West probably gets too much deci- too much credit sure. for that decision. But like the Jerry West like qualities are really important and they've been absent in golden state. One thing,
2: one thing Jerry West has is clout to tell an owner he's wrong. Um, You and I both know how that power dynamic works. It's easy to criticize it. Are you actually going to sit in there and tell your boss he's wrong? You know, it's not easy. It's not an easy job. And like, if we know one thing about Joe Lacob, it's, Uh, that he's he's brash and he's pretty aggressive so he's not like I mean he it's it's not the easiest person probably to you know convince when he has his mind set on something that maybe he should reconsider it so all all that is to say like how many front office people have that Jerry West like I don't care who you are Mr. Owner you
3: know yeah (laughs) like it's well and Jerry West is also just, like, so ridiculously blunt. Like, it was my favorite parts of Ethan's book were when Jerry West is, like, talking about uh, Harrison Barnes. And he was, like, can't shoot. Like, his feet are all fucked up. And, like, just, like... This is Barnes when he was like a key part of the core and, and and
2: there were still a lot of people who believed like there was a lot more upside in him. Yeah. A
3: lot more people believed than didn't. And Jerry West was just like, Nope, this guy doesn't have it next. We got to figure something else out. And that's like an important perspective to have uh, as you're building a team. I can, I go off the wall on one other topic before we uh, close it out. So Justinian Jessup, what do we know about my guy in Australia? Because I think he could help too. I definitely... Is the
2: is the Australian league the most undervalued league in the world?
3: I don't know, man. I think all teams out there should be looking for one of these like six three white guys who could just take. Oh, like... he's
2: six 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 seven.
3: Okay, well, take that. Is is he a white guy? I have no idea. Actually, yes. yes. <laughs> okay,
2: he wow. is. Um. I'll say this about him. He knows who he is as a player. And he's just, he's trying to follow the Duncan Robinson route, which is to say, look, man, no one in the NBA is going to employ me to be a lead playmaker, to be running pick and rolls. So I'm just Uh going to master the art of coming off of screens and shooting off of screens and all that sort of stuff. So I do think there's potential for him to be a, uh, sorry, um, a sneaky piece for them. Yeah. it's i just I, the thing i struggle with is like because i've watched a few of his games by the way the nbl is just a plus presentation mostly because the commentators they call the game like a soccer game there's just like <laughs> the, the excitement level like anytime there's like a pass it's like oh you know like that sort of yeah. thing yeah you like very hyped up
3: um I hope your listeners appreciate the dedication you have to this task, this this podcast. You're locked into NBL, NBL games. That's amazing.
2: I mean, sometimes it's a better option than watching NBA games. But anyway, <laughs> what I was going to say is uh, I always have a hard time deciphering how a lower level will translate to a higher level, which is just a fancy way of saying there, there's a reason I'm not a pro scout, you know? True. Um, he looks like he can be in that Duncan Robinson mold of um where everyone's like, well, why didn't we take him after the 15th pick? Because at least we know he can do something we need.
3: Well, and to me, like we've talked a lot about the options that lay before this front office and like a lot of different sort of choose your own adventure things. And it's going to be really difficult for them to to make some of those calls. And they're going to have to just sort of like gamble and cross their fingers. Um but one easy win for any front office in the league seems to me to be just like, go get three of these journeyman shooters and see which one sticks. And like Garrison right. Matthews for the wizards is six, two and, but he's actually like pretty useful as a shooter who like puts pressure on the defense. And he's the worst possible version of one of these guys. Duncan Robinson, probably the best type of guy you're imagining him, sure but because like, he's got size he's got size to get a shot off against anyone basically he he also moves really well off the ball which yeah. is is a trickier skill than you would think um but like desmond bain for the for the grizzlies like why did he fall any further than like the first pick after the line grayson grayson
2: track? grayson allen's another good example exactly for the grizzlies like i mean grayson's gonna end up being a 10-year NBA player who ends up on a lot of winning teams because he fills a specific role everyone needs.
3: Yeah. yeah, and and that to me, if you're looking at like marginal areas that the Warriors can improve, it's like go get a couple of those guys. And I've been I've been following the Jessup buzz since early in the season, particularly those first few months when the Warriors didn't have when anyone like, who yeah. could hit a shot. It was like let's bring this. Australian kid over like midway through the year, get him over here by the all-star break.
2: The one thing I'll say about Jessup is uh, he is, he's currently shooting 36% from three in Australia. Uh, from okay. what I've watched from him, he is lights out from college three range, but not quite uh, NBA. Like, I mean, breaking my heart. It's also, you know, it, it could also be one of those things where he just regresses upward immediately. You watch him play. He, he can definitely shoot. Okay. You know, you know, you know the differences. It's like, how well does he shoot with a hand in his face at NBA speed, right? Because that's really the, the separator between like the Duncan Robinson and a million other college sharpshooters who don't translate, right? Yeah, like the, the speed of the defense and whatnot just doesn't bother Duncan Robinson, he can play at that level
3: well and there are certain guys Duncan is in this category Clay and Steph
2: go without saying but
3: (laughs) (laughs) yeah I know it's it's so funny too because Clay and Steph are like literally the greatest shooters we'll probably see in our lifetimes right um but then some of these other guys like Duncan Desmond Bain even the shots he misses look good and like barely rim out and you're just like whoa like this guy is a professional three-point shooter and Mm -hmm. uh I think there are more of them out there than we realize and it's worth just taking a shot on a couple of them each year. And and
2: sometimes some of these mid-major guys, like, uh, like what Duncan, I mean, I guess Duncan did transfer to uh, Michigan, but like late, but like Jessup at Boise state, a lot of these um, Van Vliet, although he's a different player, but like Mm -hmm. Van Vliet's not an NBA player. If he isn't a prolific shooter to open up his entire game, Yes. So, sometimes these guys who are in mid majors are they're forced to become excellent at that if they want to get to the next level. So you can find some diamonds in the rough there. Whereas you go with like um, Kentucky or some of these powerhouse schools who have guys with all the tools, but like, they're almost a victim of having too many skills that they never figure out to make any of their skills high level.
3: And like, why do teams do that year after year? I get it. If you're in the top five and you're looking for like a superstar and that like, And
2: that was the why that was the Warriors. I mean, you, we can go back to it. They essentially did not feel they were getting value to trade out of the number two pick. So they're like, there's three guys in this draft who have a chance to be superstars. Mm hmm we're not trading a chance at a superstar for like a marginal role player and like a lateral move on Wiggins's contract,
3: you know? <laughs> yeah. It was and frustrating. That, that may
2: be a, that may be a misevaluation. Like they could, you could have, you could say like them trading back and taking Tyrese Saliburton and maybe they get something, you know, for Wiggins or something there. Maybe, maybe they'd be in better position, but we just don't know.
3: It was the worst possible year to have like the number two pick. Um, I feel no sympathy because the one time the Wizards got the number one pick was Kwame Brown. Actually, they also drafted John Wall. That worked out fairly well. Um, but uh, but yeah, it was it was brutal because past uh, really even the top three, like it was a total crapshoot. Anthony Edwards looks great. Lamelo looks great, but like on draft day nobody had any idea what those guys were gonna
2: Well, you know it's like you didn't have a pre-draft process to allow gms to fall in love with them either that's like yeah that's like the biggest thing like we didn't i just wonder if there was no pandemic is there more noise for lamello Do more teams want to trade up for him because maybe there's better film and stuff on him? I mean, a lot of this is like the the Warriors were expecting to get back normal second pick value in a trade Mm -hmm. and they weren't getting it because it's like, all right, you know, Anthony Edwards looked mediocre at Georgia. Lamelo played 10 games in Australia a year ago and no one's really seen him since. And Wiseman played three games. You know, it's just like,
3: it was you know, crazy. It's hard well, to
2: talk yourself it's it's hard for a GM to make the if this doesn't work I'm fired type of trade for one of those
3: guys. 100% and you go back to LaMelo and like I was way off. I did not think that he was going to be that special. But like this is why I struggle with with crushing the Warriors. Who knows who made the decision? Who knows why they made the decision? But me, like amateur draft nerd, sitting at home, I look at it and I'm like, "Well, this guy could not shoot and fucking quit on his team like after ten games in Australia." And his his brother has been a streaky shooter his entire career, so like, why do I trust the jumper? And if I don't trust the jumper, like, why do I trust this guy turning into like a real star? Defensively, he, he was a mess as a prospect and was a mess for the Hornets. So like, I don't know, there were just a lot of red flags. And um, like you said, teams had like very little information to try to resolve any of those questions.
2: Yeah, I think I, I just want to get this out there before, uh, before we end the show. But it's like, I think the two things I was wrong about on LaMelo, um, one, the shot is just so much farther along than I thought it was. And right. I think we both agree. If he's shooting 25% from three, this season's far less interesting for him, but he's shooting 35 to 36%, which opens up his entire game. And like, that's the part of his, the part of his game. That's, you know, elite is his ability to play, make on the move. Right. Mm -hmm. And like all of that, just making the shot is what opens it up period. Right. Um, The second thing I did not realize, like in Australia, he just kind of felt like a guy who was just chasing his numbers Whereas I'm watching him on Charlotte and like he has that Curry-esque like charisma with his teammates where you're like, no, this guy has that like special it quality. I did not know if he had that because based on what I'd seen in other places, he struck me as one of those guys who was like going to take him a few years to realize, you you know, there are more important things than getting a triple double, Right.
3: Yeah, no. it was such a good take. And I think it came from you like halfway through the season. But mm-hmm. I completely agree. The The most shocking and most impressive part of LaMelo's season in Charlotte was how much his teammates seemed to enjoy playing with him. And, and that bodes really well for like who he's going to be going forward because everyone on the Hornets was on the same page. And you had a lot of guys on that team that were like, trying to get theirs as well, whether it's Terry Rozier or right. Devonte Graham or whatever. But like the chemistry among that group seemed to be really good. And uh, and I think like that's not how I expected multi-year veterans to respond to, to, to any
2: rookie, Ronaldo. much less much less the kid who'd been on a reality show from 15. You, if anything, I thought he would have got the opposite response from veterans or they're just like,
3: Oh brother, you know? Well, And it's not only that it's like pulling up from 30 with a janky jumper that is not right. going to fall. And like, I just didn't expect guys to tolerate that. But, uh, but he was hitting jumpers. And then he also like seems to play with a, an energy that's like pretty infectious.
2: Yeah, there's only a handful of guys in the league at any one time who have it and he has it. And yeah. um, you know, like obviously we've we've been spoiled with Steph having it, but at some point they're going to need to find someone else who has that kind of juice, you know? Mm. Um do, does Trey Young have it to you? He goes back and forth with me.
3: Oh my god. Trey, like there's so many people who hate on Trey that bother me because they are very there's like a whole wing of the basketball media that just like reflexively hates on guys like Trey Young and like Mm -hmm. Devin Booker the last several years the people who just like assume that those stats are empty and that there's like not anything to get that excited about
2: overreact to body language from teammates see they don't like playing with him because like DeAndre Hunter you know slumped his shoulders on a possession
3: And frankly, a lot of people were down on Trey because they were so high on the Luca deal that they were like, oh, my God, why would you ever take Trey Young in a trade for Luka Doncic? And so Mm -hmm. people have been like slow to give Trey Young some credit that he probably deserves. But then I watch him and he's like foul hunting and it just it gets old pretty quick. uh, And I just, I can't, I can't decide whether I really like this dude or whether he annoys the hell out of me, but um, I don't know. He's been, he's been excellent through the first couple of games of the playoffs. So I have no complaints on that front.
2: Yeah. And well, geez, we can keep going on this, but (laughs) I think we should probably wrap it here, but let's take this back to James Wiseman. What would be your line of, demarcation
3: for a trade for him if you're the warriors um i mean i would trade him for just about anything <laughs> oh, wow. over the next oh. couple months i i don't know i mean i think you can get some good value for him um and, and beyond that you should not would, expect would you to get do, a star for him
2: would you do like miles turner yeah would you do a player who's worse than miles turner
3: <laughs> uh maybe i mean like i'm not I, like Felicio Oberto for the Bulls. I'm not trading him for that, uh, but like I, I would trade, I would trade Wiseman for just about anyone in large part, because I think it would benefit both sides of the relationship. I, I think Wiseman will thrive in time somewhere else, but Wiseman in golden state is going to be a problem that continues to sort of like put a ceiling on what they can do and um and that is not a shot at Wiseman so much as just a reflection of where the Warriors are and what they need right now
2: yeah okay we'll end it there Sharp appreciate you uh check check out greatest of all talk podcast
3: go to goat.supportingcast.fm if you'd like to subscribe uh always a pleasure to just sort of check in on a quarterly basis with you guys (laughs) Tell, tell Andy I missed it